0: Kids, I want you to know that we love you so much and that God has made you and he loves you and that he has given us his word. And that means that God isn't just speaking to your parents or to me, but he's also speaking to you. He has something to say to you about who he is and what he's doing, and the kind of story he's writing in and through your life. So remember that, kids, Um, you're loved, and God speaks to you, that's good news. My name is Danny, I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church, have the privilege of preaching in this space with this gathering of people. It's something I don't take lightly, but if you are new with us today, can I just say we're glad you're here, um, you were able to participate in some things we don't typically do, like senior graduation. Maybe you expected that today because of the time of year. But wanted to say we're delighted that you're here with us. Would you let, let us know that you're with us today? You can do that by going to fbcsa.org slash connect. You can even do that right now. And I have a, a very special request to you as well. At the close of the service, If you have some time, I'd love to meet you face-to-face, just right down here. um, I'd love to hear your name, see your face, so I can make that connection with you. But we're so delighted that you are here. Um, Believe it or not, we have found our way to the end of the book of Job. We have arrived. This is week 13. Uh, We have spent the past two weeks... Uh, listening to the words directly from the Lord to Job. Those were challenging but refreshing, words that Job needed to hear. And in that revelation, um, we find the fulfillment of the book of Job, which is to gain wisdom. That's its purpose, after all. It is a, a book of wisdom, not unlike Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, that in its reading... Uh, we are to learn something about the nature and character of God and how we ought to live in this world, specifically in a world where there is incredible suffering that doesn't always come with a reason. And so we find Job receiving this revelation from the uh, Lord from in chapters 38 through 41 and Last week, we were able to see glimpses and hear his response. We're gonna review that today. But finally, we get to see a man who has gained some wisdom. So there are three things I wanna do with you this morning. One is to do that review. What kind of wisdom has Job gained in all of this? What kind of wisdom have we gained? Hopefully, um, we are right there with him. Secondly, um, God goes out of his way to say that his friends were wrong and Job was right. We're going to ask, in what ways was Job right in all of this? Uh, And what were the repercussions of that in Job's life? And lastly, uh, we're going to consider this epilogue in Job's life, which I believe is one last final test for Job and also for us as well. So I'm, I'm going to do something we haven't done the whole series, and that is, we're going to stand together and we're going to read the first six verses of chapter 42 with one another. You're like, oh, wow, Danny's come back to his senses. So let's stand together. We're going to read these verses with one another, beginning in verse one. Here we go. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is that questions my wisdom with such ignorance. It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Let's pray. Uh, Father, Lord, um, we receive these words from you and from Job. Lord, we perceive the wisdom that is gained here. So increase our understanding in that wisdom. May it be our own own. May it be the richest of treasure that we have this wisdom from your servant Job. And Lord, may we put it into practice in our life, especially these days where we see and experience firsthand the brokenness and suffering all around us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So what kind of wisdom did Job gain? So this is just a moment of review for us. What did Job learn as God revealed himself um, and as Job sat in his incredible suffering while being assaulted verbally by his friends along the way? What What did he learn? I think the first thing that he learned we see in this this verse two of chapter 42, I now know, or I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. I think Job learned um, and gained this kind of wisdom that God cannot be cornered. He cannot be tamed. He cannot be manipulated. He cannot be tug along like a pet on a chain. He cannot be put into a corner. And um, there's a lot of, Uh, Trust in that, that uh, Job gained in having that kind of wisdom. Primarily, that the Lord has a will and a way about him that can't be thwarted or changed. Even sitting in his incredible suffering and coming out on the other side of that, recognizing there was nothing that I could do and wrangle God and manipulate God to make him go a certain way because God has a will and a purpose and there's a goodness to that. Even though we can't see it, Job says, there is now wisdom that I have that I can rest in trusting God rather than trying to control God. He says, I've learned that. I've learned that because I've seen you. We'll get to more of that in a minute. But he, he's also learned that his perception of reality is finitely small, right? We've talked about this. That Job's slice of reality was that moment. We don't know how long it was. Those moments, those weeks, those months of, of suffering, that's all he could see. It was right here in front of his face. And he had significant frustrations and anger and questions and, and pains related to this kind of suffering But when God revealed himself to him, he became incredibly aware that his worldview was finitely small and God's worldview is ginormous. He sees all things and holds all things together and puts all things together. God has and sees and puts in place an outcome that we can't even begin to understand or perceive. And Job's, in his wisdom, this newfound wisdom, he says, I get that now. I am so ignorant. I can't see what you see, Lord, and I trust that you put all things together. And that's something that we hold on to as believers, that God puts all things together for those who are called according to his purpose. What other wisdom has Job gained? Uh, It says in um, verse 5, I had only heard about you before. I'd only heard about you before, uh, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. We don't know all that that means and all that Job Means by seeing the Lord. I tend to think that he has a brand new perspective about the nature and character of the Lord with these revelatory encounters that Job has. Everything is put in proper perspective. He sees the Lord more clearly, and out of that, he also sees himself more clearly, which is the outcome in verse six, where he repents completely. It's kind of like an Isaiah six moment. Here we have this prophet of the Lord, who is the very voice of God, of all the people. Isaiah has all things together, and yet when he sees the Lord face to face in that incredible vision, what, what does Isaiah do? He, he falls, Elijah, not Isaiah. Um, Elijah falls, did I get that right or wrong? Is it Elijah, or Isaiah? Isaiah? Thank you so much. See, I need y'all's help. All right. So I mean, he falls on his face and um, in repentance and ashes. Same thing here that we see in verse six. But let's go back. What else does this does this mean? Possibly when Job says, "You know, I only heard about you before, but now I've seen you." I think Job's fresh new perspective gave him some peace and calm, that when he came into the presence of God in that uh, chapters 38 through 41, when he was able to put things in a broader perspective or at least trust the hand and will and perspective of the Lord in all things, that he was brought to a place of peace and calm in the midst of his suffering, which is hard to imagine. I think it's something like this, not quite like this, Several weeks ago, kids, are you listening to me? Y'all remember the week that I showed y'all the video with the elephant? Y'all remember that? Raise your hands, do you remember that? Okay, and you remember the elephant was coming right towards me, right? And at that moment when the elephant was coming towards me, how do you think I was feeling? I was scared, that's exactly right. So I was scared and um, I was beginning to feel like, uh-oh, this isn't gonna be good. What if the elephant doesn't stop? But you know, My fear soon left. Do you wanna know why? Because I looked at the safari guide's face, right? Because I knew this safari guide's been around elephants all of his life. He knows when to be scared of an elephant or to be okay with an elephant. And so I watched, his name was Nixon. I looked over at Nixon. In fact, I said, Nixon, Nixon, do we? I said his name multiple times, Nixon, do you see what's going on here? But there was not a worry on Nixon's face. And in that moment, when I saw the calm in Nixon's face, what do you think that did for me? I can be at peace too. If, if he has no fear, then I can be calm and at peace with what's happening now. Even though it's so much out of my control, I can be at peace and calm. And I think that's kind of what Job was experiencing, that he was in the presence of God. And in that that overwhelming, infinite presence of God, he realized for the first time in his life, I don't understand all the reasons why this is happening in my life. I don't like what's happening to my life. I'm pretty freaked out and scared because of what's happening in my life, but because my God is calm and in control and at peace, I can be too. I can be too. His perception, his seeing God rather than just hearing about God changed everything for him. Um, Wisdom is invaluable, right? Right? Uh, In fact, Proverbs uh, says it throughout Proverbs, but Proverbs chapter two, verses one through five and other places in scripture remind us that there is something far greater than silver and gold. And listen, we rejoice in that Job has found what is greater than silver and gold, and that is wisdom, being able to understand just a little bit more of who God is and the kind of God that he is and how he manages the universe, or at least in trusting that a God that big and that wise who has that kind of will about him, I can trust all of my life to that kind of God. That is wisdom, and in that, we rejoice, and hopefully it is our own as well. In fact, uh, this is the kind of outcome that God desired for Job, and this is the kind of outgo- outcome that God desires for us, is that we would have that kind of worldly wisdom, in the best sense of the world, that uh, word, that we can trust God in the midst of this crazy, broken, sometimes incredibly painful world that we live in. Those are real riches. Some things I want to mention, especially in light of recent events. Listen to me. Gaining the richest of wisdom does not mean we do not weep. Gaining wisdom does not mean we become these stoic, unengaging people that just live in this world and just say, oh, God just has it all together. God just got this. We say those things, and we say a lot of other things. But gaining wisdom does not mean we don't weep. Personally, as we engage our own pain and suffering, and as we see the pain and suffering of others, we weep with those who weep. Jesus captured this for us more than anyone else. I remember uh, when his dear friend Lazarus was on his deathbed and Mary and Martha sent word to him and said, Jesus, come, because they wanted Jesus to heal him. He gets there a little late. Um, He encounters Mary and then Martha who are beside themselves. Why didn't you come here earlier? And he comes to the home where Lazarus has since been buried and the people are just weeping. What does Jesus do in John eleven thirty five? 35? It says what? Jesus wept. Here we have the very son of God who knows what the end is. In fact, he talks to Martha about the end. Don't you know, on the resurrection of the life, don't you know it doesn't end right here? Here we have the very wisdom of God that through him all of creation was created and he doesn't stand there, this stoic, unemotional wisdom of God. No, the wisdom of God weeps. And we weep too. Gaining wisdom does not mean we don't continue to search for understanding and change in our broken world. Gaining wisdom doesn't mean we throw up our hands and say, well, well, one day God, one day God. Um, Wisdom moves us to consider understanding the nature of the brokenness in which we live. And what do we do as the people of God to be the testimony of God's son in his redemption? We Seek understanding, we seek change. Job gains wisdom and hopefully we gain wisdom too in all of this. But also Job was right. That's what God says in this little epilogue uh, in Job's life. In verse seven it says, after the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. So the three friends were wrong in the, way, in the ways and the things they said about God. And Job was right. And God was pretty bent out of shape out about this, which is a good word of warning for us. Especially when we're so quick with our words in our society and culture, right? We are so quick to come up With explanations and reasons for things that happen in the world. The first thing we do is post some statement on social media. We become experts in everything overnight. Word of warning God says, Watch your words. Maybe we shouldn't be so quick with our words. It's part of what he's saying to these friends here. You were so quick with your words and your accusations and declarations and your assurances that I'm doing something a certain way. Did you ever stop and consider and pause and breathe long enough to even come inquire of me about what I'm doing? Not once did his friends do that. They just jumped to conclusions, insisted upon them, yelled them louder. And God said, your words are wrong. The way you described me to Job was wrong, but Job was right. In what ways was Job right? I think Job was right um, because he knew the suffering that he was experiencing didn't fit in with the worldview that they had been living by. You do bad things, God's judgment comes. You do good things, God's blessings come. It just didn't fit, right? And he wasn't gonna just insist on pushing God into that kind of box because it no longer fit his life. I think he was right in that way. In fact, I would say Job probably had it most right from the very beginning. Remember that? Uh, In Job chapter one, verses 20 and 21, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In fact, that's kind of like a summary in some ways of the nature and character of God uh, in, in Job. Sometimes the Lord gives, he blesses us as a gift, and sometimes the Lord takes away, but the the, the 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 steady rock in that scenario is the glory and majesty and wisdom and will of God. God says, I, Job got that right, among other things. What else did Job get right? I think another thing that Job got right is that, in Job's incredible suffering, his anger, his complaints, and his frustrations, he never ran from the Lord. He took them straight to God. And they didn't always come out right. And God puts them in his place for that. Right? Remember that last week? You, you wouldn't approach the Leviathan in that way. What gives you the right to approach me that way? But nonetheless, Job did it right. He was always, listen, Job was always honest with the Lord. He always just kind of put his heart out on the table, Lord, this is where I am and where are you? He never drew his own conclusions and hunkered down. He always ran to the Lord rather than away from the Lord. Listen, we can get messed up in our own anger and our suffering when we choose to run from God rather than run to God. Listen, in our household, um, we say pretty regularly, listen, as long as you're honest and open and vulnerable with us, you're not gonna get in trouble. Yeah, we might have some words to say about the choices that you have made or something that you've encountered. But listen, if you get a text from a friend that you need to show us, uh, you come show us that right away. You just say, hey, listen, this is what I've seen. This is what my friend has said. Or, Or maybe it's a choice that you made. Listen, as long as you come to us with full vulnerability, honesty, and openness, we are not going to turn you away. We're gonna receive you. And I think that's what God is saying that, listen, my servant Job was right and that he came before me. Yeah, it wasn't all pretty, but he came before me with vulnerability and honesty about where he was and what he was experiencing and how, how he hated the suffering and, and, and how he questioned what God was doing. He came to the Lord with integrity. God says, Job got that right. Even in his anger, Job got that part right. Will we? Will we? Will we come to the Lord even in our anger and frustrations in the midst of the hardest things in life? Will we run to him or away from him? God says, run to me. You may not always get the answers that you want, but don't run away from me. You won't find peace on your own. It's really interesting and kind of cool to see here. I was talking with my daughter Emma last night because she had to teach Sunday school this morning and she said, Dad, do you think it's important that God calls Job his servant several times here? I think it's pretty interesting. We see it in chapter one, he calls Job his servant, but we see it actually played out here in a very interesting way. So Job goes through this incredible, unimaginable suffering. He gains wisdom in the process. He sticks with God, even though he's angry with God, has complaints about God. He never runs from God. He's always running to God. God says, that's right, Job. That's good. I'm grateful that you did that. And he comes out on the other side of this suffering And God says, listen, you friends of Job, you've got it wrong. You you need to take your sacrifice to Job so that he can intercede on your behalf. Isn't that interesting? Job becomes an intercessor for his friends. Reminds me a little bit of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus who knew no sin yet experienced incredible suffering. Jo- Jesus knows what it means to suffer. He rose victorious over sin and death so that he might be our redeemer, our intercessor. That great high priest and God appoints Job in this moment. You're going to you're going to be their priest. I, I mean, what can we take away from that? We can take two things. One, we can rejoice in that this text, even here, points to the great high priest that we have in Christ, that he is our intercessor. But also, maybe it says something about that God doesn't waste anything. God's not gonna waste your suffering that God is going to use your suffering as you come to him, even in the midst of all the varied emotions that you experience, that God's gonna use your suffering as you come on the other side of that, that he might even use you to come alongside someone else and be an intercessor. Maybe, Maybe that's what God is also saying, that's something we could learn. Job, I'm not gonna waste your suffering. In my economy, this is how I put all things together. You are now intercessor for your friends. Pretty interesting function that Job performs at God's command. There's one final test that we have in the book of Job. This is what I mean. Verses 10 through 16. Listen to this. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Then all of his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home, and they consoled him and comfort. Where were they? Where were they at the beginning? I don't know. But finally they console him and comfort him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift, money, and a gold ring. That was through others. God restored his wealth, among other ways. Verse 12. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more. Then in the beginning, for now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters, whom he names, doesn't mention his son's names. He named, I think that's pretty, I have three daughters. I think that's pretty significant. I was like, that means a lot here. We'll see if I can have time to get there. But he named his first daughter uh, Jemima, the second Keziah, and the third Karin-Hapuk. In all the land, no women were as lovely as the daughters of Job. I feel the same way about mine. Uh, And their father put them into his will along with their brothers. Who in the world does that back then Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died, an old man who had lived a long, full life. So after Job suffers, after Job is commended for getting things right, then God just just more than restores his fortunes, doubles his fortune, blesses him with new children. Here's the test. Did Job get a double blessing from the Lord? Did he get his fortunes restored twofold because he got it right? Job, I'm gonna reward you. I'm gonna bless you because you got it right. Is that what happened that's a test for us if we're not careful we can cycle back to that old world view that if you do good good things happen i mean it happened to job he weathered that suffering he passed the test and god said because you passed the test i'm going to give you even more One final test. But if we have gained the wisdom of the Lord, we know that God gives and God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God gave to Job in this epilogue of Job's life as a gift of his grace, not because he owed Job because of his faithfulness. It wasn't payment for Job. You did good, here you go. I'm just gonna lavish more on you. He gave to Job as a gift of his grace because he chose to in his infinite wisdom and his will to do so. It's not arbitrary. God just didn't willy-nilly give back to Job, but he did it according to his grace and infinite wisdom. He gave as a gift a grace. It had nothing to do with Job's faithfulness. Simply God chose to do it and Job passes the test. This is why I think his daughters are significant. This is why I think his daughters are significant. I think Job demonstrates that he passed the test because he imitates his father in heaven. As God was gracious to him, it didn't fit the worldview of retribution or blessing according to your works. And God... Job imitated his father in the same way because they lived in a system in their world where daughters didn't have the privilege of inheritance. Only sons. Daughters only gained inheritance if the sons had already died or if there were no sons. And that was the only way to keep um, the legacy of their wealth within the family. But in this case, he already had seven sons, but he goes out of his way to say, here are Uh, my three daughters, here are their names and they are beautiful. In fact, their names associate with their beauty. And he says, also, I want you to know that I have included them in the inheritance along with their brothers as an act of grace. But Job says, I'm not locked into the systems and boxed in by the ways and demands of this world in the same way that God is not locked in According to his will, he will act and give and he takes away. And Job says in the same way, I'm gonna graciously give to my daughters. I might be completely wrong, but I think it's a beautiful picture of him understanding the nature of God in his gracious giving. Regardless, the Lord is always the superior blessing. And here's the test for us which is what Job longed for the entire time. He, he never lamented the loss of his stuff. He lamented the losses of his children, but he never begged, Lord, give me more stuff. He always longed for the presence of God, and that is fulfilled and restored. But here's the question for us. Will we pass this test? Do you want more of God or just more from God? Right? Do you just want more of what you think you can get from the Lord, or do you want more of the Lord? Furthermore, any giving that we experience now from the Lord is only a foretaste of our future hope made secure for us in Christ Jesus. I think one way that we can look at this epilogue, and rightly so, is that as it points to Christ, it's a reaffirmation that we have a greater inheritance and a greater promise on the other side of our suffering in this broken world. That restoration is coming, and it's going to eclipse anything we could have or taste in this world. And so anything we receive now is only a foretaste of the future inheritance that we have and that is secure in Christ Jesus. Until Jesus returns, the whole world suffers under the crushing weight of sin's curse, doesn't it? But we're not left to ourselves. Like Job, we can ask God what is going on Lord, where are you? Lord, what will it take for you to intervene? And what does God say to us? Well, one of the things that he says to us in his wisdom is he says, will you trust me? And all the chaos and brokenness under which you see and sit, will you trust that although you will have trouble Will you trust that I have overcome the world? And God will say to us also, when we ask the question, God, when will you intervene? And he will say, I have. And I will. At just the right time, I sent my very own son into the same world and it crushed him too. And yet he rose again and overcame the world so that we can have an inheritance that will be fulfilled at Christ's return until, and from now until then, we live in that wisdom that we trust in a God that holds all things and perceives all things and is putting all the pieces, the beautiful pieces and the messy pieces together for those who are called according to his purpose. His church let's pray, Father, thank you so much for your servant job we able to see a slice of his life and Lord we still have much to learn but Lord help us to learn to to trust you and to be at peace to come to you even in the midst of our own suffering and heartache and anger and to never run from you but run to you help us to learn those things and live by those things. Ultimately, Lord, help us to see and savor your son, Jesus, who knew what it was like to suffer too, but offers us real hope in his death and resurrection and a promise that is coming and will be fulfilled when he returns. Lord, we have a message to tell the world that will lift the burden of the crushing curse of sin. Help us to see it, to savor it, and to speak it. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.